Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Schenk, nurse scientist and healthcare sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, I'm speaking with Peggy Berry, occupational health nurse in Ohio. Peggy has also been active and vocal about air quality, water quality, and economic development as she shares her philosophy for engagement and activism. Well, welcome to Dr. Peggy Berry. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Berry on on the podcast today. I've been wanting to talk to her for a while. She has been working in environmental and occupational safety and health since 1990. Peggy, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for that introduction, and I'm glad you started to call me Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a bit about your career, occupational and environmental health. We On the podcast, people know a lot about environmental health, but probably a lot less about occupational health. Uh, this is one of those uh, career paths that any registered nurse can take. Um, a lot of ER nurses will follow that trend into uh, occupational and environmental health nursing. Um, for me, um, back in 1990, I was looking for a job that would satisfy my needs to be home on the weekends and in the evenings and nights. And I uh, started out as a workers' comp case manager as a preferred provider for the Bureau of Workers' Comp for three years. And I was getting all of these injuries that were like three years old. So I decided I wanted to go in-house and do it. And I applied for a job with uh, a large uh, freight and air company uh, located in Ohio. And I became uh, their occupational environmental health nurse manager. So in that In that job, I became more aware of the chemicals that move through our air freight and truck freight system, as well as what we used in the facility, what you had to do if there was an exposure to those uh, chemicals, and then how to prevent injuries, because injuries should never be part of a job. Most of them are preventable, and I would really like more nurses and healthcare facilities to realize that these are not part of the job, neither is violence, they are preventable. So I worked for this company for 13 years and when it was uh, moved from Ohio into Louisville, Kentucky, I went for a master's and a PhD in nursing science. Part of that master's was to work as a graduate nurse assistant with uh, OSHA or the Department of Labor and OSHA. So I spent eight weeks in Washington, D.C. doing a a FAQ on pandemic preparedness, which I find (laughs) really interested in in this time. And um, I also did a OSHA walk around on an audit tool for mass care shelters. Then on my PhD, I did it on how workplace bullying affects affects the productivity of novice nurses as well as their well-being and published several articles on that. So that's kind of like in a nutshell, I 
I've had a varied uh, amount of nursing experience from CCUs, ICUs, neuro to hospice before I went into occupational and environmental health nursing. Interesting. So you, so if you reflect back on your acute care experience uh, and then overlay your knowledge about occupational health, what are some of the occupational risks that nurses in acute care face? You mentioned bullying and you mentioned violence. Yes. Um, Do you remember the HIV epidemic in 1990? I do. Yes. This is why I decided I did not want to work in healthcare facilities because until they started to treat everyone as having a bloodborne illness and having to use gloves, um, gloves were not a priority on those units, if you recall. I do. And so um, nurses not only have violence and workplace bullying and um, patients and families bullying them and sometimes doctors and managers bullying them. Um, about 33% of them go home and their significant other mm. uh, has domestic violence tendencies, you know. So um, because we're still mainly women in healthcare, mm-hmm. and we don't, if we think we're going to lose our jobs, especially you know, if we're the sole provider, we clam up and shut up and do our jobs and do the best we can. And sometimes that's why you end up with a press group behavior and you just chew out everybody else that you can, your peers, because it's not a good, it's not a good work culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not environmental, which is what I came to talk about. Mm-hmm. But th- those are some of the psychological issues associated with uh, some of the injuries and some of the chemicals uh, like um, how many spontaneous miscarriages did nurses have until they because they were mixing chemotherapy Mm -hmm. we don't know we never really studied that as fully as I, I recall so if we had studied that they would have had either they're down in pharmacy mixing the chemicals under an air vent, and then the same thing goes with jewelers. How many jewelry stores Mm -hmm. have air vents for when they're doing soldering? Mm -hmm. Not many. So it's all those things having to do with not only your occupation, but the chemical exposures or the work exposures you have. And up until about mm, 2005, Physicians were not asking about what they did at work that might have caused the disease, Mm. whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, They really had to get farther along the system before uh, that happened. Um, Or let's say they had a car hobby and they were using a chemical to wipe down the fender in order to get decals off of it, and that chemical causes a pneumonia-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, it's things like that that, you know, I don't think a lot of us are aware of until we broaden our scope of practice. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking about about that right now with the COVID-19 epidemic, um, 
and reflecting back to your comment uh, at the HIV, I, I have felt that way, you know, about particularly about nurses who are on the front lines today and taking, you know, they, they are exposed, more exposed. And in my day, it was HIV. And I remember, you know, nurses leaving the profession because um, it was it was too much too too. Um, they felt unprotected. I also yeah. remember your comment about moving to gloves. And, and I've been thinking, what are what are the long lasting changes that will come out of our our COVID experience right now uh, related perhaps to social distancing. But what I wanted to ask you is what, what are your thoughts or reflections given occupational uh, exposures and risks uh, or protections right now with the COVID crisis? <laughs> that is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> at right now, people are, are thinking, oh, we are going to get a vaccine and it's only a couple of months out. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a year out before they have a valid and reliable vaccine. Mm -hmm. And because we've gone so quickly into the testing and are using um, materials that we're just now developing, had we gotten the WHO, World Health Organization, testing kits, we would have been able to match more specifically uh, COVID-19 and, and its growth potential had we, had we gotten those kits here. We have, we have to consider more safety equipment, more PP, personal protective equipment. I was going to say PPE for healthcare professionals who are in and around the uh, virus-laden patients who are sick and just, you know, coughing, and, and they have to render care and touch. They have to have their gloves. They have to have their N95s that they have been fitted for, okay? I think the greatest thing we have to acknowledge is that our federal government has not been uh, there to help us in this crisis. Um, in the beginning, Mm -hmm. We should have had gloves. We should have had N95s without dry rot. If we have a strategic stockpile, it means you monitor that strategic stockpile for expiration dates and rotate your, your stuff through so that you've got maintained N95s, face masks, uh, gowns, everything. You know, So our federal government kind of let us down in that respect. Yeah. Well, it's sure, sure been an interesting um, and terrifying event. But, you know, as we speak today, it's, it is, seems to be letting up. Some uh, areas in the nation seem to be over their peak. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when social distancing uh, decreases and how fast it changes or not. But, you know, one of my biggest concerns right now in the environment has been the fact that the EPA has been so, uh, has been a detriment to clean water and air rules, saying that we need to decrease these rules, you know, to perk up productivity and uh, make sure that 
coal, oil, and gas have an edge to get in there and and really get our economy working. And for the last, uh, I guess since 2010, I've been working clean air and water issues um, locally, and I have even testified trying to get methane rules uh, through the EPA only to see them decimated with the new uh, administration or now the old administration uh, Mm -hmm. in power. So that's what my biggest concern is right now. That and our ancient water um, system, public works, where a lot of homes have lead pipes and those lead pipes need to be pulled and changed out to copper. And, and low-income families, as well as communities of uh, colored people, they do not have the funds available to them to pay for that replacement cost. Mm-hmm. So, so there's still lead in those lines. Those That lead, they have to run their water almost like, what, two, three minutes to make sure that they get healthier water, but it's still not certain. So I think, you know, in terms of water being life, and Ohio has an abundance of water, but it doesn't help if we have chemicals like PFOS that go into our aquifer. And I don't know the long-term results to my liver, or my kidneys by taking even small amounts of PFOS in because they can't eliminate it from the water system. So uh, lots of stuff like that uh, Mm -hmm. comes into mind. And I I look at our hospital systems that have been growing and growing, and some of it is because we have not taken care of our infrastructure for such a long time that it's coming back to bite us. Lead, as you know, has physical as well as mental uh, health issues, in term, especially with children, that will follow us a lifetime, 30, 40, 60 years down the line. For those people in Detroit and Toledo that have had issues with lead and piping. Mm-hmm. So... Um, with the algae blooms with Lake Erie. Toledo had their water shut down for a couple months. And those, as I said, those low income and people of color communities did not have what they needed for a very long time. So water is life. And I Mm -hmm. guess that's, that's why I got involved with uh, the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments Mm -hmm. because if you're out there and you're beating around the bushes all by yourself and you don't have like-minded people to talk about with these issues or to educate you on how to speak with legislators and to lobby, uh, you get kind of tired. So when, when uh, the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments came in, I, I actually... Uh, helped create a day of education where we did an action at uh, the Ohio State House. 
had fun. I learned that there were other people in Ohio that had the same ideals that I had. And I've been working that ever since. That's terrific. And I'm so glad Annie was able to um, benefit from your experience and skills. Um, I understand you've been working a bit on fracking as well. What Tell us about that. I think I have gotten involved with fracking in 2012 when um, a nonprofit came to me and said, do you know that when somebody at a fracking site goes to the hospital for an injury or an exposure, they don't have a material data sheet. I went, what? <laughs> and I actually, uh, if you look me up, they, you find that I sued the Ohio Supreme Court mm. in order for, uh, just, just not me, a lot of people uh, sued the Ohio Supreme Court trying to get uh, fracking companies to carry these material data safety sheets at, and I'm probably, it's MSDS, material safety data sheets. I've been saying it wrong. <laughs> but carry those with them to the hospital so that we knew what was on their clothes because the physician would be exposed to it, mm -hmm. the staff would be exposed to it. Some of them are volatile organic compounds that are in the fracking solution that may come up or go down into uh, the wells. And not only that, it, it uh, uh, causes exposures to the healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. And how do they uh, take care of that exposure for those individuals? Um, so I got involved in that. It moved to uh, air contaminants with the methane, which is why I was speaking to the uh, EPA about the need to have stronger um, environmental controls on either fracking, where the methane starts coming out, to how they transport it, to uh, how they um, process it. Because with that methane release, it goes into the atmosphere and it's like what 82 times more powerful than carbon dioxide and helps with the right the the issues having to do with climate change mm -hmm. it just accelerates it <sighs> yeah in, ad in addition you know some of those wells that they either store the wastewater in or are homes that are on well water by the fracking site it goes into their water systems. And there's so many pictures that I have seen where the water water comes through, but it just catches on fire because there's also methane. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how do you measure the consequences? These are, these are chemicals that will cause long-term consequences. Yeah, well, thank you so much for working on that. And it's it's so complex and tied up with the economy and local culture and people's sense of, um, you know, their, their work and their attachment to work. And yet, 
um, exactly as you say, it just unleashes these chemicals that have these long-lasting effects through different phases of development, human development, and uh, ecosystem development. So, boy, it's a lot, a lot to try and it's contain. And I probably put half of my time a week into these issues right now. Mm. Uh, simply because, well, <laughs> we're all social distancing. <laughs> yeah. So what if, what else have I got to do? <laughs> I, you know, but the other side is education too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, even though we're looking at like with reimagining Appalachia as a group, uh, it's that encompasses many different states because mining had gone on with Appalachian areas as well as oil and gas and now they're talking cracking plants and storage areas in along Appalachia because they won't uh, have hurricanes mm. but that just means we're going to have fires and spillage that will go into the Ohio River mm -hmm. and the Ohio River 8 million people use that water for their drinking water. Mm. Okay. So not only do we have to redesign healthy jobs for the Appalachian area and also look at what we can do in terms of uh, green energy, but we also need to change uh the culture throughout the United States that injuries are okay, they're part of the job. They're not. Things can be prevented. And even in the oil and gas industry, they take care of their they take care of their employees in their refineries. Mm -hmm. But they use contractors mm. when they're doing their fracking and they don't take care of employees. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are, are understanding now that it has been detrimental to their health to work in those areas. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, so, so just to revisit a minute about reimagining Appalachia, you said that that's a, a large group uh, multiple states, I, I assume. Is it primarily about economic development? It is about economic development, mm -hmm. about uh, importing more green energy. The areas in, in, in and around southern and eastern Ohio are mostly wooded and beautiful. There are mm -hmm. state and national parks that I really don't want to see violated. So I have a question for you. In, in that in your role with Reimagining Appalachia and certainly in your role as an advocate, um, it makes good sense that you bring your occupational health experience to that work because you have, you know, a, a deep, deep knowledge in that area. How would you say your role as a nurse helps you in those, those ways? What does, how do you, how do you lean on your nursing knowledge, skills, or um, culture to help? Mm. You know, when I, I think my greatest voice is sometimes advocating 
health in those areas where we have to create not only green energy jobs, but a, a more focus on the health of that area. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. With, as a nurse, I'm focusing on what I can do to, to increase health, to help with their wellness and their mental well-being while they are working uh, in these new green industries. Because, as I said, we, we need to help change mindsets that work does not have to hurt. Mm -hmm. That there are safety uh, precautions that can be taken. That employers are responsible to their employees to give them a safe working environment. Even healthcare facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for you. It's, I think it's yeah. a very strong voice and a very, very relevant uh, in terms of protecting health while also protecting livelihoods. They, they certainly go together. You cannot have a good livelihood if you don't have your health. And also you can't really have your health if you don't have, if you have a livelihood that's harmful to you. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing is uh, when I think about everything uh, that has brought me to this process, you know, to my end games, so to speak, with uh, water and clean water, clean air, it was because I became angry. I became angry that I did not think that my representative with the U.S. Congress was listening to me when I went there to talk about clean air. I felt that my words fell on deaf ears. And what I was talking about was important to me, but also with the group that I was with. So after that experience, I joined the League of Women Voters of the Greater Dayton area because if anybody could teach me about politics, mostly nonpartisan politics, and dealing with the issues, they helped me. I also got involved as a lobbyist for the Ohio League of Women Voters so that I could learn how to do it right, really evaluate the bills, and, and push health issues, push safety at work. It's... It's like I was listening to my Governor DeWine um, three, four years ago, before he was governor, and he was talking about the uh, opioid crisis that we had. And I said to him that you also need to look at how your workers' compensation system is run because some employers just decline injury reports saying you didn't do it here mm -hmm. they don't have adequate care and they get hooked on the drugs mm -hmm. in that respect they lose their jobs they go back home into the Appalachia area where they know they have friends that will take care of them so mm -hmm. we it it's an overarching cultural shift that needs to take place where we're all responsible for one another. And maybe the COVID-19 will 
you know, push out that kind of message. We are responsible to one another and to get them to continue to work that. And if it doesn't turn out in, to be the panacea I would want it to be, I'll just keep pushing forth my message till I have no more breath in me. <laughs> That's the spirit. So let me ask you about that. Why you, you started to talk about what motivated you for this work, but you know, this obviously is a significant uh, commitment and you've been doing it a long time. You have still energy for it. What, what do you think motivates you to care for the world in this way? Maybe it's because I have for so long had to do root cause analysis with injuries or, or illnesses mm -hmm. when I was doing, uh, because I did all of the workers comp for this company that went from 1,800 employees to 3,000 employees. Mm -hmm. and, and even though I had nurses working down under me, I was doing their OSHA log and I was doing their workers comp. So the idea was what caused the injury? What did you do so nobody else down the line would be injured in the same way? And that's, that sticks with me. Mm -hmm. if, you know, so this is, this is what keeps me motivated to keep pushing towards those clean air and clean water. If we have really bad air days, and, and you see now the Weather Channel puts up, this is a really bad uh, day outside, you know, for people who have emphysema or pre-existing lung conditions, you need to stay inside. Mm -hmm. That's because we're polluting our air and we're polluting our water. What can we do better? And that's essentially why I keep saying this. We can, we can do better. Yes, well, that's great. And I, I like your identification of the root cause. It's, it is the upstream thinking of how do we avoid these problems and therefore avoid the suffering, avoid the costs, and, uh, you know, do what, what nurses are, are to do is help, help people be healthier, help them uh, recover, help them live well, help extend quality of life. So that makes a lot of sense. More people are getting their voice together for these issues. And, and creating alliances. So when you think about reimagining Appalachia, these are all different nonprofits that are getting together to try to make a difference for the long-term root cause of pollution into the Ohio River and down into the, in through Louisiana because there's a cancer alley there. Mm -hmm. You know, so... It's just, it's incredible. Once, once you start to dive down the rabbit hole, you may mm -hmm. never want to get back up because you know, you know, these are the things we have to resolve. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. So um, since you have the floor, what would you say to nurses who might be interested in this work or interested in these ideas and troubled uh, as you are by some of them? What advice would you give nurses? One is seek out like-minded people. I mean, um, currently I sit on a, an environmental and community health caucus with the Ohio Nurses Association. 
uh, and I'm on a legislative committee with the American Association of Occupational Health Nurses because we, you need, a nurse needs to be involved with their professional community. That's number one. Number two, reach out and learn. Nurses are really good at that. If they see a problem they don't know much about, they'll internet search it, they'll buy a book on it. Uh, I was not a public speaker, so I learned lobbying through the League of Women Voters, okay? Uh, and, and I learned that my legislators are normal people just like me. Mm-hmm. And, and I've encouraged nurses to, to get involved with the League of Women Voters because they address the issues they don't attack the politicians. Mm-hmm. So I look at issues. Um, how can nurses get involved? They can look up the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environment. Mm-hmm. There's many online courses they can take to them to become more educated on fracking, mm-hmm. uh, carbon dioxide, lead in water. Uh, and then help your passion guide you to your goal. What is your passion? Okay. Uh, My passion was to make sure that every time I turn on my water faucet, I had clean water. And then to realize some people don't have that. And that's why I work at it. Um, I think conversations like this, the work that Annie does, uh, the work that, that many organizations are doing around uh, really remind us also to focus on public health and public health immediately pretty much takes you to environmental health because like you say, those communities that are at risk, I mean, one of the, one of the big reasons why, why social determinants of health are what they are is because of the environmental impacts that are happening at specific locations. And, and let's face it, there, there's injustice once you have been in a home that is experiencing it, there's no way you can go back to hiding from it. Mm-hmm. You just can't. So let's let's try to fix it one system at a time. That's great. Good for you. Well, Peggy, we've already spent nearly 45 minutes. So is there anything else you'd like to add today? No, I, I want to thank you for uh, getting in touch with me so that I can uh, talk about my passion. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you to Peggy Berry for joining me today. Occupational health is a crucial focus for all workers, including nurses, as nurses care for the nation and the world. Thank you again to Peggy, and thank you all for listening today. This and other episodes of the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast can be found at envirn.org. And please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.